Pretty awesome guest today, our good friend, Amy Willman. She's filled many roles and worn several hats as a leader of Safe Harbor House in Springfield, Ohio. And Safe Harbor is a faith-based residential program. It's for women who are healing from some kind of severe trauma and substance use disorder. She is just an amazing, beautiful soul that we have come to love and just want to support her as she supports so many women who've gone through trauma, abuse, trafficking, addiction, and um, just has such an amazing spirit about her and is funny. And <laughs> we just love her so much. And with One Voice for Freedom, have been able to come alongside um, the work that she's been doing with women. But also, um, Amy, the first time I met you, you actually brought me in to speak at an event, which was really cool. I, I'll never forget how you know, you paid me to speak, but then at the end, you end up taking up an offering which should have gone to your nonprofit, but you felt mm -hmm. so obligated or just like kind and compassionate and generous enough to then extend that to my nonprofit. And that's that just mm -hmm. has always stuck with me because, you know, that doesn't happen ever. <laughs> and uh, just mm -hmm. your your heart is um, just a beautiful thing. So I'm so grateful to talk with you today and just get some insights from you. So thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was that was easy to do because I have definitely a kingdom paradigm when it comes to giving and generosity because, I mean, your win is my win, mm. <laughs> you know. That's right. Any win for the cause, you know, is is a win for all of us. Mm. And so that was that was quite um, easy to do. And, and plus, it's just easy to obey the Lord when your heart's pounding, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So That's like, good. okay, Lord, okay. <laughs> I'm going to listen the first time. And so that was easy. I mean, you have so much wisdom to share and you've walked with women in so many different facets of their life and through all kinds of horrific experiences. And you've seen healing mm -hmm. happen. Um, yeah. You've been, you know, used by the Lord to bring um, his healing touch to so many broken lives and women who thought they couldn't see tomorrow. And I would just mm -hmm. love to hear some um, from you what, you know, you've seen and experienced in that fashion, as well as what have been some of the hardest things as you've been walking um, with these women. Yeah. I think one of the things I really wanted to hear about was um, this new metaphor that you've been so excited about lately, mm -hmm. as you've been talking about mm -hmm. breakthrough and your theme for the year is breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And um, you had mentioned mm -hmm. to us this idea called escape velocity. Mm -hmm. And if, could you just talk a little bit about that and then we can dig a little deeper? Yes, absolutely. I, I am like, hello, my name is Amy and I'm addicted to metaphors. You know, I really, really love a good hook or a good analogy to kind of sink my teeth in, especially when I feel like um, the Lord, you know, it calls me to focus on something. Yeah. And it's not that he's not also teaching me other things in other arenas and other themes, but I, I really got in this habit of declaring a word over the year for Safe Harbor, and it almost always comes also at a personal level and a community level. And, and then sometimes I even hear people talking about it outside my community. And I'm like, wow, this might be some general revelation that the, the father heart of God is just pouring out on his sons and daughters. And so even since we chose breakthrough for 2019, I've really heard that word bandied about quite a bit. But when I felt like the Lord was calling us to settle on the word breakthrough, one of the things that excited me the most is that one of our graduates is actually the one who presented that word as a possible declaration for 2019. Mm -hmm. So that put some extra shing on it for me yeah. because like we were all tearful because we're like, not only do we think that's what the Lord is saying, but it came out of the heart and the mouth of one of the women who went through our one year residential program. Mm -hmm. So to know that she is now, you know, four years clean and free from her trafficking and free from a life of trauma and pain. Um, but she also is studying social work and is in the middle of her bachelor's degree program and is married and um, has had two little babies. Aww. And so, I mean, she's just, she's just dreamy. And so <laughs> she really, uh, she contributed that word. It resonated with our staff and, 
Then I started asking the Lord for a metaphor. I'm also a musician and a songwriter, and so I needed that hook, like, Lord, give me something that would really help me communicate this concept of breakthrough. And so I really just sat down with a brainstorm, um, for a brainstorm with uh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and was like, Lord, what, what do you want me to know about the word breakthrough? What do you want me to communicate about this? And and I started just really, you know, how you kind of empty your mind. It's like clearing the slate or the canvas and saying, okay, Lord, just give me give me something fresh. And And I started to just imagine different pictures. You know, I was also being quite practical because we're going to need to have logos and, you know, some branding for this word. And I'm like, well, what's a picture that kind of depicts breakthrough? Yeah. And I really felt like I got a picture of the outer space, you know, space shuttle or spacecraft that's trying to break out of the Earth's gravitational pull. And even even those pictures and those scenes in movies where the space shuttle's trying to break back into the Earth's, you know, atmosphere and there's just so much turbulence. So I was like, Oh, outer space and I was like, Lord, you know that I'm like a humanities music people person. I'm not very sciencey. Like, I don't know if I can unpack this, Lord. And um, he's like, Google it, Amy, you know. <laughs> so I Googled it. And the first article that I came up with, I think I Googled something like, what does it take for a spacecraft to break through? I think that's what I put in the Google search. <laughs> and the first article I read, the first paragraph, said something along the lines, did you know that a, space, that a spacecraft needs to be traveling at 40,000 kilometers, which is about 25,000 miles per hour, mm-hmm. in order to experience breakthrough? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I was like, wow, that's a lot of momentum required. But then the very next sentence said, this is called this momentum or this speed is actually called escape velocity. Mm. So I saw the word escape and immediately felt like the Lord was just really giving me some insight about what it takes for, for an abuse victim to go from victim to survivor Mm -hmm. to thriver. Mm -hmm. That this concept of the momentum required, it's, it's staggering. Mm. And as I began to think about it, I started thinking about what the women of Safe Harbor have to overcome in order to even make it to our house. Program, right. Because, yeah, yeah to so even make it to hurdles, our program. So many hurdles, so much courage to even get there and begin yes. their healing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone who comes to our program has a dual diagnosis of complex PTSD and substance abuse disorder because, you know, we all know that those maladaptive behaviors, those coping skills, those addictions develop out of um, that trauma that has been left untreated and unaddressed and maybe even uh, hasn't even been validated yet. And so Mm -hmm. to, to overcome those symptoms and those, um, those odds (laughs) um, shedding their past, yeah, um, breaking free choosing this from really long bad road yeah. relationships to be able to enter a program. Yes, yes. No. trauma bonding, escaping from the trafficker or the abusive intimate partner in the first place. Mm-hmm. They have systemic barriers like the weight of those childhood traumas, the mountain of debt, loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention the lies of the old fork-tongued accuser, I mean, dogging their every step. Mm. So it's like, and and then I found out, um, I love it when scientists give us terms that are actually quite accessible because that's called the drag. Okay. Mm. That's what they call the the stuff that's the gravitational pull mm. that's keeping keeping the space shuttle, keeping the person from breaking through it's Mm. called that's called the drag Mm. and I'm like well that's a very easy to understand um, term but then really early in the article um, it says as one astronaut put it accurate navigation is everything okay 
So then I really started getting excited. Yeah. <laughs> because I was like, okay, so we have on this side of the equation um, this mountain of symptoms and trauma and um, practical considerations that are making it nearly impossible for someone to escape, mm -hmm. to achieve that escape velocity. But then once they do, once they experience the grace and the supernatural, like miraculous momentum mm -hmm. to get free, mm -hmm. then what then? <laughs> and the question, you know, what now is why safe harbor exists? Mm -hmm. And this sentence, accurate navigation is everything, it, it just immediately gave me the picture in my mind of like those movies where you see the people in their like space shoot, space suits, those big silver space suits with the big bubble over yeah. their head and, uh -huh. and they're just floating around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you guys know, like we've all in this space, we talk about how, you know, rescue efforts are not going to be enough, but in some ways they can also be harmful mm. if there is not some kind of safe, clinically responsible and trauma-informed and well, you know, evidence-based way to navigate women through a whole new way of thinking, of living, of being. Yeah. Because in many ways, we've heard so many women at Safe Harbor say, I don't even know how to live in a state of peace instead of chaos. I don't know how to receive this love. I don't know how to trust this process. I don't know how to not live in trauma every day. Yeah. And that takes that takes accurate navi navigation. Yeah. And I mean that doesn't and mean you can't that be we're, alone. That requires you know, a community, <laughs> healthy community and directors Absolutely. in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like a blog article coming along um coming on that's probably going to be called like who's in your headset. Because mm -hmm. at that point, when you're like, you know, you're in this new place that you've never been before, and you're trying to find a, a renewed mind and muscle memory for a new life, right? <laughs> and and there has to be somebody in your headset so that you can say, Houston, we have a problem like mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. I've never been here before, and this this is very unnerving and. I don't know where to go or what to do. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that gave me so much um, hope and comfort is because I believe, have you ever seen those movies where they show, you know, Houston, we have a problem. Houston is not one person. Right. It's a team. You know, it's like, <laughs> it, and I mean, it's a big team. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, there's, there's probably, I don't know if the movie's, are depicting it accurately, but all the movies I've seen, there's like a hundred people sitting there totally. with headsets on. Yeah. And I'm like, every single person in that room has a job. And some of them are astronauts who have been up there. Mm. And some of them are people who've never been up there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know what that says to me, the little church lady, because <laughs> you know, the enemy's been, the enemy's been trying to lie to me since I was mm. a teenager that unless I experience the same life experience of a trauma, trauma survivor, then I need to just sit on the bench mm. because I'm irrelevant mm. and I don't know what I'm talking about. And that these trauma survivors were just going to look at me and say, what in the world do you know about anything? Mm. And right. so I was so intimidated. Mm. But I'm so I realized glad that you broke through <laughs> past that lie. <laughs> Because had you yes. not, had you, you know, been held back by those false beliefs and the things that, you know, you were hearing and trying to be shut down by the enemy, how many women would not have found their freedom, you know, but you were, right. the, and, you and, were and willing to I break through that. I wouldn't be in that. my chair. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I wouldn't be that. sitting in my chair with my headset because none of us have everything that's needed, but we all have something Mm -hmm. That is essential to that accurate navigation. Yeah. And so I saw that team of people and some of them having the absolute brilliant perspective of lived experience. Mm -hmm. Of course. And, and then other people saying, actually, my brilliant perspective is that I, I can see from this angle mm -hmm. because of my storyline mm -hmm. and I can bring wisdom that 
is unique and important. Mm -hmm. And so I just see the enemy like getting shut down. He can't, you know, he can't lie to the people who have lived experience and feel shame about it because the truth is their story is going to absolutely provide momentum for somebody else. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's what survivors who work on behalf of other survivors are doing. Mm -hmm. And, and so we just, you know, here at Safe Harbor, I, the ladies laugh, but I call it depantsing the devil because it's like, (laughs) if you expose his lies ahead of time, you know, like expose his lies ahead of time, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what he's going to say. This is how he's going to try and shut you down, Mm -hmm. you know, but then he's also trying to shut down the people you know, the Pollyannas and the the people who maybe have been in church their whole life and they haven't experienced trauma either, you know, then it's mm-hmm. like, wow, you know, he's trying to shut us down. And so I'm I'm just so honored to be in this space with these women. And honestly, it was the women themselves who taught me that my voice was valuable. Yeah. Um, it started like 25 years ago with trauma survivors in the church who would tell me their stories and they found an empathic witness who wasn't recoiling at, at what happened to them or maybe even the things that they had done. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just, I just heard their words, really, they're the ones that kept me in the game. You know, they're the ones that it, it's so poetic and ironic that they would be the ones that would keep me from benching myself you know, the ones that I thought might say, Amy, what in the world do you know? How, how could you ever relate? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just honored. It's a gift. I tell women all the time, it, it's sacred to me. It's sacred anytime anyone lets, lets us in to their story. Um, but especially if you don't have um, that same lived experience and they, you know, they just pull you in closer mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. and say, you know, but I, but I still need you because, and, and they've all given me different reasons. Yeah. Um, but God, but, God gifts you just like he gifts so many other, you know, people who haven't experienced the trauma, but has gifted them with compassion and, and care and a heart and a non-judgmental ear, you know, and all those things are yeah. necessary and needed. And, you know, though, you know, like in my book, Breathe, they talk about the circle of inspiration. There's so many different roles that people can play. Yes, we do need mm-hmm. people that get that get it and yet still validate mm-hmm. us and understand why we feel the certain mm-hmm. effects. But we also need people mm-hmm. who've never been through it and can still say, you didn't deserve that, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and what happened to you was wrong, and I'm sorry, and I don't understand it, but I'm here if you want to talk. I mean, that's so important and vital to our healing journey. And you've been able to do that and be that for so many people to experience their breakthrough. That's incredible. Well, and I think that I represent by being that little church kid who, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Bible quiz team. Hello, church (laughs) camp. Like I was just so saturated and in that and it was beautiful. But I kind of represent what people expect to be the judgmental Christian, yeah, yeah. Sure. you know, the and person, then you come in and like you I'm aren't. <laughs> and, and Larry Crabb said it probably 25, 30 years ago that this is, it's a healing ministry to, to listen and to provide that empathic witness and then to absolutely offer grace and to lean in and to press into the traumatic story or the brokenness and to, and to not recoil or run away or Mm -hmm. judge like that literally in that moment, something happens in the ministry of presence and your presence there. It's, it it breaks down some of those lies because trust, trust is such a big deal in the healing journey, but also it dismantles shame yeah. You know, and that's why I I love the whole ministry of confession because, mm-hmm. you know, if we can confess, you know, not only our sins but our our trauma to somebody who who stays in the room and and brings that ministry of presence and it's really powerful. It, yeah. it dismantles shame, but especially if it's the person that, you know, is pretty much a Saturday night live caricature, <laughs> the church lady. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and if 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 the church lady is turns out to 
to love you instead of rejecting you. And mm-hmm. so the women that come to Safe Harbor who have been through, um, you know, drug addiction and prostitution and all kinds of brokenness that, you know, came out of their trauma and their trafficking. When when I went to catch court and heard Judge Herbert talking about the high percentage of prostitutes who were actually trafficking victims, right. I'm like, okay, this is a, a paradigm shift the church needs to hear right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of given me this sassy little you know, I have authority and I have some credibility to go to the church and say, hey, by the way, this is not that and this is not what you think. And, and we need to have a paradigm shift and we need to have not only a trauma informed church, mm-hmm. um, but we need to under, we need to be educated. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. about trafficking, right. about prostitution and. Yeah. Stop saying that we care about religion. these kinds of issues and these injustices when you don't even understand what it is and you don't, you're not using correct language. So yeah, education is crucial for the church. How does, how does a church, (laughs) yeah. How does a church lady go from being a church lady (laughs) to being someone who's so trauma informed and cares so much about this issue to where you become a frontline warrior? How do you go from that to this? I'm thinking there's going to (laughs) be listeners who are like, yeah, I, I am, I am that church lady, but I care and I'm listening. And how do I, how do I move from here to where she is? Yeah. Well, I know part of it is calling because at age 15, I felt the Lord grip my heart with the scripture. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Mm -hmm. And what's really funny is that some of it comes out of a neurotic striving classic overachiever like I want to be the best Christian in the world like I just I wanted to be such a successful Christian and I I my Enneagram need to be successful like it's ridiculous you know how achievement oriented I I remember in first grade counting the O's on my report card because O meant outstanding and Mm -hmm. S just meant satisfactory and in first grade I knew what that meant Wow, And I, I, so I know that, you know, the enemy was definitely working in my childhood and in my teenage years to try and cultivate performance and that measuring stick of success and trying to be a little achiever. Um, but the Holy Spirit got a hold of me really, really early too. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when when that scripture said the Lord's near to the brokenhearted, I just thought, well, if I want to be close to Jesus, it sounds like a logic problem to me. Um, I need to be where he is. And I remember distinctly, like parts of it are fuzzy, but I know it was when I was 15 and I know it was that scripture. And I know that I wanted to honor God with my whole life. That's the year I was called to the ministry um, at church camp on Wednesday night, as you do. Mm. (laughs) Um, you know, and so I just, I began with just a desire to be wherever God was pressing in, wherever he was coming near, then I'm like, well, I'm tethered to him. I'm going where he's going. And so the scriptures about him being friends with prostitutes and being friends with sinners and being friends with people who were marginalized, like those all those stories in the Gospels, they, they just literally jumped off the page at me when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so I, all, I knew back then that I was not going to be happy living a comfortable little Christian life. That's great. And yeah. I think a lot of like our so college then, generation is in that place right now. You know, many of them have not experienced and, you know, have been homeschooled. They're at a Christian college, but they have this heart, heart for social justice. And they want to know, like, how can I be a part of this? And so I think that's really speaking to that, even this generation that is rising up right now. Yes, absolutely. And so it started there. But then, you know, vocationally, I started as an educator. You know, I started studying to be a teacher and I just... I just knew that I was ignorant, but that my ignorance mattered. Hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like if you can, if you can find out the areas where you have privilege mm. and then like, and then start to say, okay, this is where I'm most ignorant. 
Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to stay here in this place of privilege and ignorance. Okay. I just, I kind of, that's where what could have turned out to be just neuroses, you know, the, <laughs> that driven ambition uh, or achievement oriented stuff was just, it was just a very principle centered part of me that was like, if I'm going to help, then I need to understand. And so that's when I just began two different types of understanding. One was by listening to survivors. And that started very early. I I told someone it's kind of like being a trauma magnet, like the the yes on your heart when the Holy Spirit begins to say, I want you to be involved in a healing ministry of healing the brokenhearted. Like that yes on your heart draws people. They can feel they can feel the yes and they can feel that you know, that trust and yeah. They don't, sometimes they don't even understand why they're trusting you so much and telling you so much until yeah. it's over. And then they're yeah. like, I don't know why I just told you all that. Um, <laughs> but then that so you see so was, much value yeah. in the sacredness of that storytelling. Someone yeah. who's sharing their story with another person, they know when their story is sacred to another. And I think that yeah. you put yeah. that off with people. So I feel like that, you know, a big part of that training ground was the yes on my heart then turned into just the ministry of presence and just listening and listening and listening. Um, But then it was also the book learning, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. just what do I need to know about? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. so that's just been a lifelong journey. So I kind of found myself in education, but then in ministry, ministering to the brokenhearted. And five years ago, those that nonprofit management leader part of me, educator part of me, um, collided with my ministry to the brokenhearted when I when I found Safe Harbor and mm-hmm. they hired me to be the executive director. So That's great. then my real education began really yeah, five years right. ago. I, now you're yeah, actually I mean, in the trenches found, with these women yes, and learning yes. yeah, the real way. That's yes. awesome. Talk about immersion. Yeah, mm. immersion. Well, I love Safe Harbor. It's definitely been one of my favorite um, residential facilities for women who've been through intense trauma. And I love how y'all go about it. I love how you love them. Um, The staff is always just so genuine. And um, it's just been a joy to kind of walk alongside you. I wonder, though, do you have any for for those who are sort of in your shoes and are already in the trenches? um, What could you share about Safe Harbor that you feel personally sets you apart? You know, what are some of the best practices of, Mm -hmm. you know, trauma care for survivors that are in your care? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, one of the best things I think about Safe Harbor is that we have developed a program that is extremely collaborative that partners with uh, clinical professionals in our community. So we're not trying to do everything under our roof. Uh, we want the women when they graduate to have connections and resources coming from all kinds of agencies and professionals so that they don't say, oh, wow, now I'm on my own. So the whole time they're here, they're building connections um, through their um, AOD, drug and alcohol um, treatment, through their licensed trauma therapist, through all of their um, uh, doctors and psychiatrists, psychologists, whatever they need, we want to kind of just broker those conversations and provide the transportation and get them over the hump if there's any kind of intimidation about making those appointments or going to those appointments. You know, we'll we'll facilitate and we'll provide transportation and we'll sit in the waiting room with them and we'll even go in with them if they need that. So I feel like that's very, very powerful that we're getting them to the doorstep of all of these people that are going to provide support for them for the rest of their lives, we okay. hope. Yeah. Um, and yet we're and yet we're supporting them in the fact that we're getting through those barriers mm-hmm. that would keep them from from finding those resources. So I think um, our great honor for clinical best practices and evidence based practices, because I think a lot of times the stereotype is that Christian organizations sit over in a silo thinking that everything needs to be addressed spiritually Mm. and that the clinical solutions are 
set aside. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really, really noticeable when people start digging into our program that we are completely geeked out by all of the wisdom and clinical solutions and the, the right-brained modalities for healing and mm -hmm. EMDR and what the licensed trauma therapists are doing and what they're learning through their 12-step groups with that yeah. tradition. And, you know, we're just, there's just a great deal of honor for all of those approaches because we believe that, um, that the solutions are holistic yeah. And that we need to humble ourselves to people who do things that we don't do. Um, and mm -hmm. so I think for nonprofits and ministries that that's really rare yeah. to just have that level of honor and deference and collaboration. I tell people all the time we're on this tightrope where we're holding things in tension and, and doing the both and. That's of, exactly right. I was going to say both of us are. In the vineyard movement, and we have that both mm -hmm. and kingdom mentality, and I think that yes. <laughs> bringing that into a social work atmosphere is just perfect. It really is, and I think yeah. that's probably I, I why I love like it so much. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm not dogmatic about much. You know, I have a pretty sunny personality, but mm -hmm. I could get super opinionated about this because <laughs> I just feel like that these women deserve the very, very best. And how dare we keep something excellent away from them because we think that our way is the only way. Yeah, and also, I just believe, I believe Jesus was a great social worker. I believe <laughs> he followed social work ethics. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Christians, you know, Christians should have the most excellent and the most, you know, the best of the best practices. So, you know, and, and the thing is, if someone were having brain surgery, they would want the best brain surgeon. Yep. Right. Mm. And so we're not consistent sometimes in the church mm. when it comes to trauma and mental illness and um, these kinds of issues, because we think, well, you know, we have, you know, we're a hammer, so everything looks like a nail, you know, and it's like, no, like, I, I believe that we can absolutely rely on the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that is expressed through all of these modalities. And uh, so we're purely Christian and, you know, as orthodox as the day is long. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we believe that all healing flows from the supernatural power of God through Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, but we also know that just like if we were sick in any other way, we would rely on all of the things that the Lord has given us mm -hmm. to help. And so if that's our essential oil diffuser, we're going to use it. <laughs> oh I got my. my bracelet on right now. Oh dear. My little oil bracelet. <laughs> and it helps. Like, I've been sniffing it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Do this you think God knew when he made lavender? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's excellent. So, so what that's yeah, that's unique. And then I, I, I think there was one other thing I wanted to mention, but now it slipped my mind. That makes us, yeah, this tightrope that we're on, this level of collaboration, this blending of clinical best practices and the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, that's what I'm carrying inside of me, this classic overachiever best practice kind of girl and this full of the Holy Spirit inner healing kind of girl. So mm -hmm. I'm like, let's, let's just you know, thank God for yeah. all of it. When we have women come to us who on their spiritual journey, they're not ready to digest all of the spiritual stuff that we have to offer. Right. And we sure, we're sure not going to make that a requirement no. for coming. Mm -mm. In fact, it'll and push so them away. What can we so, do? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, let's go hiking. Let's, let's, uh, you know, do some, some DBT and safe place exercises mm -hmm. and, Let's create safety. Let's let's make sure their amygdala has been restored to, you know, a, a level where they can even feel safe in our home. And, yeah. you know, it could be months. It could mm -hmm. be months before she's ready. And, and we also just believe that Jesus is good at introducing himself. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's he's, so true with really abuse survivors. So many have been abused in the church or... Yeah, they may have yeah. not been abused in the church, but in their healing journey, the church has not come alongside them in a healthy, loving, validating way. Yeah. In fact, it's been shaming yeah. to them. And so they're coming into yeah. a program where they're going to shut down if you start introducing that too hard. And when they're not ready yeah. or where it doesn't yeah. feel safe yet, they don't they have too many misunderstandings. Yeah. So I think it's really wise mm -hmm. the way that, you know, your model has sort of personalized it to each survivor and her own experience. Yeah. And it's, 
it's one of those things where, you know, we believe in the client-empowered approach because it's actually what's going to stick. And so uh, trafficking survivors who have been coerced and manipulated and exploited, the last thing they need is to add a spiritual version of that to the list. And so we're, Ooh, we're yeah. really, really committed to um, being extremely trauma-informed and careful about that. Mm-hmm. And we believe that, um, you know, beauty will save the world. The kingdom of God is beautiful. <laughs> and so if we can present a beautiful kingdom culture, <laughs> yeah. then they're going to start feeling attracted to it at some point and asking questions and and making requests of us. And then we can happily you know, supply those kinds of resources. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to see somebody truly express what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of them. And instead of feeling like you've kind of put a carrot in front of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's actually extremely important that we're very careful with this piece Mm -hmm. because there's already a distorted lens. Like you just referenced there's, you know, through trauma, there's already a distortion of who God is and how he feels about me and whether he even cares about me. Yeah. And there's already, you know, family of origin issues for most of us, you know, that's something we all have in common that like through, through church and family and just our formative years and our development as a person, we can develop these skewed ideas of who God is. And so we're very careful to, you know, provide a space, some real breathing room for them to even just start talking about that kind of stuff without any judgment or shame about, you know, and not editing their theology. Yes. Yes, exactly. I think that's so healthy and I wish more Christian organizations and, and, you know, facilities like safe Harbor, I wish other ones could sort of look at it from that sort of viewpoint. It's just so healthy Mm -hmm. and, and so healing. And I, it's always confusing to me when I survivors will come and they feel, you know, they left a program because it was just too heavy on that side. And, you know, they mm-hmm. didn't feel good enough or their expectations were too hard. Yeah. And it's just like, that's not Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's not him. But yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Um, what are some of the barriers that you've seen then for those who've gone through the program and have excelled and done amazing and they've received that healing and they've got that breakthrough um, that they, you know, came there for? What are some of the barriers that you've seen and, and how how do we go about helping survivors after they've left a program? Yeah, well, one of them is I think if they don't stay in Springfield and continue to be connected to their church that they attended while they were in our program and the small group and all that support that comes from community that's, you know, in addition to the community inside the house, all the community they have outside the house, if they don't stay in Springfield and they maybe move back to their hometown or something, one of the barriers is just that they're not every church is trauma-informed. Not every church understands addiction. Not every church is offering grace instead of judgment. Yeah. And so sometimes it's, you know, I believe that we have to do a better job of educating churches on all of these issues so that they become a safe place to report abuse, a safe place to you follow through with, right. you know, the validation and whatever support the person needs when they first report abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it needs to be a place where people can heal, where there's resources within the church. Um, and just like you said, common language that we're using mm-hmm. and words that we don't use anymore. And that everybody's getting educated so that they feel like, oh, like these are my people. Yeah. Because I think sometimes our women, you know, they've come out of, um, you know, addiction and trafficking and prostitution and, and they come out of maybe they've been to prison or they've lost custody of their children and, and they, they walk into a church and they just feel like there's nobody like me here mm-hmm. um, and, and nobody understands. And um, I think that's part of it. We have to have more trauma-informed churches yeah. um, that understand everything that we've been talking about today and more. Mm-hmm. But then I also just think that the women themselves underestimate the power of that community because they've got the, you know, the muscle memory of 
at least 12 to 18 months of sobriety while they're in our program, and sometimes even more than that if they were, you know, in some other kind of program before they came to us. Mm -hmm. So they've got, you know, a couple of years maybe of just healthy relationships, and they're working on trust and healthy communication and boundaries, and it's like they're crushing it, but our program it provides so much infrastructure that facilitates that and sets mm-hmm. them up for mm-hmm. success and provides those guardrails. And they, I think they underestimate how difficult it is to maintain all of that if they just jump back into a 40-hour-a-week job and parenting and go back to their hometown and their family of origin. And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, like I've got enough traction here. I'm never going to struggle again. Um, and the women who have underestimated the power of community and that continued vulnerability and community, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, have just, you know, had some lapses and have had to either come back to us or have had to reach out for help and we help them find some resources in their community. I'm I'm thrilled to say that the the longevity of our program and the health of our program um, really does set them up for, I don't think there, you know, anybody has ever gone back to the level of trauma and chaos and symptomology that they had as a, as a sufferer of complex PTSD. And, you know, they're, they all leave here with a bunch of healing under their belt. Yes. <laughs> and they're awesome. never going back. Yeah. You know, but when they do wobble, mm-hmm. I think it's because of that community piece. Like Houston, we have a problem. Like, mm-hmm. who's in your headset? How many people are surrounding you? Yeah. Um, to not isolate. It, right. To not think yes. that, oh, yes. I got this far. I'm never going to take a backward step. The healing journey is hard yes. and it's long. And sometimes yes. there are backward steps. But we yes, need to surround are. ourselves it, with that community that's healthy, supportive, that's going to keep us going forward. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I've seen some get derailed because they want to have some huge ministry and destiny that starts day one, you know, and we know biblically that there's often a gap between calling that when you find your destiny and your purpose and your significance and those core longings, you know, start to be stirred. And there's often a gap between that and when we actually are launched into some kind of full-fledged ministry. And so I've seen people, some people want to uh, plug some holes of significance too fast. And they, it's, uh, it's stressful Mm -hmm. and they can get a little derailed. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I've seen other people kind of settle for, I'm just, I'm okay with just paying off my fines and, and getting a job and getting a car and getting my license back and like that's good enough and they kind of stall out because they don't dream bigger than yeah, that there's no mm-hmm. real purpose you know? and yeah yeah and so once again we're on the tightrope in our little tutu saying like it's really <laughs> both ends mm-hmm. like there needs to be a high level of purpose and significance and we work with that a lot in the last phase of the program just learning to dream learning to renew the mind, not only dismantling lies and getting rid of the old, but filling your mind with identity and destiny and God created you for a purpose and, you know, really providing a ramp, you know, for, for them to soar. But then, you know, at the same time saying, don't neglect yourself, you know, don't, don't go get a business card and hang out a shingle and, and, and start, being a, a workaholic yeah. for the Lord. <laughs> like, let's yeah. also, you know, take, take some time to take care of yourself mm-hmm. and, and to be very cautious about filling up your, any emptiness with a new kind of fix. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a lot of, yeah both and going on in that conversation. So. Well, and speaking of, of that, you know, in the idea of self-care, even thinking about mm-hmm. you, Amy, and, and, you know, Karen and all the amazing people that you work with mm-hmm. day in and day out, you know, what does self-care look like for you? You've been in this game for quite a while. What does, mm-hmm. I know what it often looks like for a survivor leader, 
myself mm-hmm. or Mary, you know, but does it look different mm-hmm. for church lady turned victim advocate? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what does that look like um, for you? I because we need you in this. And how yeah. do you not quit? Yeah, well, I think um, there's practical and spiritual answers to that for me. Um, and I think it's personal and different for each person, because I know some people who are like, oh, those grown-up coloring books, I can't do that. It makes me anxious, and I, it makes me want to throw the colored pencils across the room. And other people are like, oh, it's so grounding and so centering, and it just helps me focus. Right. So I think, you know, I I have some some artsy things that I like to do that are mindful and help me just kind of push the pause button on anything that I'm sad about from the past or anything I'm worried about in the future. You know, I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus said things to us, like consider the lilies. I believe he was actually teaching mindfulness and that's not Mm -hmm. anything that we have to think, Oh my gosh, that belongs to, you know, the new age or that's (laughs) not Christian practice because actually, uh, you know, the Bible talks about don't, don't get bogged down with the past, like forget and move forward and have a healthy way of moving forward, but also don't obsess and worry about the future. And he's like, consider the lilies, look at this flower. So recently I kind of went on a house plant binge and I just needed to get more house plants in my life because I recognized that when I slowed down to pay attention to the fact that they needed water, I know it might sound corny, but it's a mindful practice for me to to just nurture them, to look at the leaves, to look at the water. Like it requires this like ball of energy and Holy Ghost fire that's wanting to, you know, bring healing to the broken. It it, it makes me slow down in my dining room before I leave the house and yeah. <laughs> and say, okay, how are my plants doing? Okay. Like, so it, it's on a practical level, the coloring and I love to read and there's a, there's a magazine. It's a mindfulness magazine called flow. That's like going through a art museum, just flipping through that thing. And I have found that a more artful way of scrolling because magazines used to that in the olden days, that's, that was their version of scrolling, flipping through a beautiful magazine, and right. um, and and this flow has like crafty things inside of it, and you know, like one time it had an insert um, for pressing flowers, so like you took it with you on a hike and collected, you know, wildflowers and pressed them into the book, and it was just you know a little bit artsy, but nothing like Pinterest, no Pinterest pressure, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> So I'm like right there with it being artsy, but not, not pressure. And then um, I also just truly believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to just envelop my entire body with, I call it the benzos of heaven. <laughs> you can coin, I coined that phrase because I'm You coined like, a lot of phrases that I, I love. Right, right. <laughs> Listen, I truly believe that everything that people reach for to medicate their pain or to numb out, check out, whatever, um, that heaven has an alternative that is better. Yes. And I think, I don't think we talk about this enough because we're just telling people, hey, don't do that. That could be dangerous. You could get addicted. Like that could hurt your liver. You know, that could make you act stupid. You know, like we tell people like to behave and don't touch that. Right. I'm just kind of on this crusade. That's like, are you kidding me? Um, The first time I ever had Demerol because I had hurt my back and I was in the emergency room. And um, I think I was like 30 something years old before anything like that ever touched this temple. And I felt it hit my system and. I just had the sensation. I'm like, that feels a lot like the Holy Spirit. Mm. But it's not the Holy Spirit. And nobody had ever told me that there were substances that could give you a feeling that kind of feels a little bit like the presence of God. And because of my upbringing, which I'm so grateful for, I told someone I had like a steady drip of the Holy Ghost my whole life. And I didn't realize, I didn't realize just Mm. how precious, 
that was until I got deep into this space and saw I heard a trafficking survivor say, the first time I tried heroin, I wasn't trying to get high. I wasn't partying. I wasn't just trying mm-hmm. to be, you know, flaky and irresponsible. She said, the mm-hmm. first time I tried it, it was the first time in my life I ever felt safe. Wow. Mm-hmm. She wasn't high. She felt safe. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, here I am saturated in these encounters with the Lord where it was normal for me, not just at church, but anywhere, anytime, mm-hmm. to feel the manifest presence of the Lord. Wow. Yeah. And to feel like a download from heaven that was like a big hug, like it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm kind of telling the whole world on your podcast that like, I'm kind of a Holy Ghost junkie. Like, <laughs> well, I need to be that in the, was obvious from the, the gates. The <laughs> <laughs> I need to be in the presence of the Lord. I don't know how anybody does this just from a purely I want to help people, social servant mm-hmm. point of view, because it's brutal. Mm-hmm. It's brutal. Yeah. And I think that's why there's burnout yes. and that's why people quit and that's so why too. people get jaded and cynical and start talking about the clients with, you know, exasperation. Yeah. Um, when when the healing process is hard right. and and disappointing. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's leaving a traumatic situation, but it takes seven times for them to totally achieve escape velocity. Mm-hmm. Like how do we stay fueled in a flame mm-hmm. in all of that those setbacks in that just the secondary trauma of it all. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, my house plants and my coloring and my cute little magazines are, are delightful little gifts that the Lord uses in my life. Mm-hmm. But primarily the fuel to the flame. Oh, I have to get on my threshing floor with him and just <laughs> have him remind me not only why are we doing this again? Right, right. Um, but also well, I've seen that over feel the relief. I've seen that over and over in you. And I do think that that's so true because to have that, unspeakable joy you know within you that you exude to everybody that you meet despite all the stories that you hear and are walking with every day I mean that can only be something much bigger than this world and so gosh Amy I'm so thankful for you (laughs) well of course we do but but you 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 are a joy to know and I'm just so glad that you're doing this work and that you are just as on fire today as you were the day that we met you. <laughs> so I am, and that that's a miracle. It sure is. is. Awesome. Well, this was really good. Thanks, Amy, for your time and for just your wisdom and your heart. Um, we we love you, and we'll be excited. Well, to get we love what you're doing. Some pastries with you soon. <laughs> oh yes, yes. We love what you guys are doing, and we love being on the same team. That's yeah, right. we adore you guys. Thank Aww. you so much for letting me be verbose about things I'm excited about. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked. Even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.